Good evening and welcome to another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdossi, 70th Bat at C70 on Twitter with me, David Jones from iPop Editor on Twitter. We're coming to you after, yeah, that. A sweep from the Pirates of the Cardinals. Um, I mean, David, you know, the Cardinals were kind enough to you know, lose the Peacock game. So our whole entire day was ruined and not just the afternoon. That was always great. Um, and, and I, what is your opinion of these Peacock games? Um, what are your thoughts just in general, not even the fact that the Cardinals didn't play well. on them. <laughs> well, today it did allow me to get a very nice long nap in because that game was <laughs> quick and over and I was just mentally exhausted. But, you know, I, I hate them just to be honest. I hate the Peacock games. Now, I don't even recognize they're there unless the Cardinals are playing. Like I, I completely forget it's they're like one level below the Apple TV games of in my memory of what's coming on this week. It, it felt like they were so desperate to get baseball games. It's like, well, you can't have Sunday night because ESPN's got that. Oh, you can't do that night because of broadcasting rides. You can't do that. Hey, you know what? We'll give you 1030 on a Sunday. Um, I actually told my pastor this morning, that I said, hey, Cardinals are playing at 1030 today. If you don't mind, preach a little bit longer so you can save me from that mess. <laughs> uh, and him being a Royals fan kind of just chuckled, laughed, and understood where I was coming from. But, you know, it I, I don't understand it. It's Now, it's a little bit easier for, like, Pittsburgh. We're have on an Eastern time zone, so it's actually starting at 1130 there. But for the rest of the country, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, it's one thing if a team's over in London or Germany or something like that, and they're playing a game in, in the NFL, but I don't understand it for MLB. They're they're not drawing extra fans to the game. They're not drawing extra viewers. Uh, Peacock is one of the worst streaming apps out there, and I get it for free as an Xfinity customer, and I still hate it and still mm-hmm. won't use it. So I think it's just a mess, but I guess it's a streaming company that was desperate to get anything they could. Yeah. And I mean, and and to be fair, if baseball wants to get into some of these places for people to see it in different, you know, maybe hit a little bit different market. I get it just in the idea of that and the Apple TV both, you know, having a game of the week, but yeah, I mean, it's bad enough on Sundays when they're playing in the Eastern time zone, right? And they start at 1205 or something like that. And you're just, you know, barely getting out of church, at least here in the central time zone. And, you know, but even then, at least you can watch most of the game, you know, um, today. Yeah. With a, a 1030 start and a pitch clock, it was like, yeah, if the preacher goes too long, it's over. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they were already I, down to nothing before I got out of church. Yeah, uh, it's like, you know, great. Not even no point in watching this one because I know how this is going. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, at least you're there to, you know, maybe pray for some runs, which is about what was required these days. It seems like, um, and that's uh, again, it was the, uh, the Cardinals. I mean, two weeks ago, we're talking about this team starting to make a comeback, right? We're talking about a team that is starting to rally. They went what eleven and three, I think, in the middle of May you know, felt pretty good. Then they went to Ohio, to Cincinnati, split that series. They lose the series to the guardians. They split a short series with the Royals and then they go get swept by Pittsburgh. And this team now feels as you and I were talking about beforehand. And I've seen other people talk about it again. It's right back where it was with two and a half weeks taken off the calendar. 
know, they're 10 games out of the 10 games under 500. They're seven and a half out of the first place. Um, and it's really getting hard to say this isn't that team. This really does start, you know, you get into the beginning of June. Well, they, they are, as, as you said, they are where they say they are. And you know, what's scary is this was supposed to be the stretch that was supposed to be easier. Now I know we had the whole 19 games in 19 days thing. And I'm going to get back to that in a second, but playing these teams, even starting at the beginning of May, this was supposed to be the easier stretch. This is when they were supposed to start making up ground against teams that either had sub 500 records or were barely over and probably overplaying their actual record. And it didn't happen. And that's the scary thing. They lost ground against these teams that they should have been beating. And I remember this week hearing Randy Carricker saying something on the opening drive and it caught my attention. He said, you know, we, we look at these teams and we say, well, the Cardinals should beat them. You know, we, we see Pittsburgh coming up on, on the schedule. We see Kansas city and we're thinking in our heads, yeah, the Cardinals should beat these guys. But he said, these teams may be looking at the Cardinals and going, Oh good. The Cardinals are on our schedule. We should Ooh. definitely beat them. Like is Cincinnati saying that they might be at this point um, because the Cardinals just aren't good. And I've tried to spin it every way I can to be optimistic. They're just not good. We heard all the excuses, and I'm tired of the excuses, the whole 19 games and 19 days, and I know that weighs on a team. I know Mm -hmm. it does. But you know what? Every team's going to go through that at some point. Win your games. We hear about the outfield being hurt, and we're playing infielders out there. I get it, but you know who else deals with that? Other teams, and other teams are finding a way to win through that. We hear about bad luck and, oh, well, we're just hitting the ball hard, but hitting it right at guys. Or we really like what the analytics say. We're just getting unlucky. We're not seeing results. You know what? I don't care anymore. No more excuses. You either win games or you lose games. And right now the Cardinals are just losing games. Something has to change. And that may not be this year. It may be in the offseason. But right now this is just not a good team. And as much as I want to say that things – should get better and if you look at run differential and things like that that it shows the record should be a little bit better right now at best we're seeing a team that's about a 500 ball club and when you're already 10 games under 500 being 500 the rest of the way is not going to get you anywhere except a mediocre draft pick so i i don't know i don't know what to say i don't know what the fix is but something has to change but i'm tired of it whether the game's on peacock or bally or whoever has it i'm really tired of watching this because it's just not good baseball okay deep breath rant over um i'll cool down for a minute i mean it's it's fair though i i think that you know there are things that make you think okay this team should be better you know the fact that they're still one of the better teams in the in the central at least uh it's run differential um the offense has overall had good numbers but it seems like they're all put up with nobody on base right i don't think there was some of those stats that were floating around about what the team is hitting with runners in scoring position and and currently right now i was looking it up you know with the bases loaded they're hitting 189 i mean you know as we saw on friday you know one hit in in those situations can can win a ball game um, they should have won Friday's game anyway. They should not have needed anything. But if they had put, you know, just one key hit in there, you know, they, they, things maybe maybe we're feeling a little bit different, um, at least to get that game. And, and who knows how the trajectory of the weekend changes. They didn't get it. Um, and that seems to be the case 
so often this year. They're you know either it's they'll put two hits together with two outs in an inning and, and can't get a runner in after that, or you know they load the bases with nobody out and still don't score that kind of stuff. It's it's a problem. Um, I don't know where the consistency. I don't know if they're still paying back for 2013 when they hit like 330 with runners in scoring position. Um, it's a long time to pay that bill back, but maybe that's that's part of it. Uh, whatever the case may be, and, and that's not even getting into the pitching issues, which we knew were going to be there, and we can t- we'll talk about them too. But you know, this offense was supposed to score five or six runs a game, pretty much in win game six to five, not take a five to nothing lead, not score anymore, and then lose seven to five. Um, that's, that's not what this team was supposed to do. And unfortunately they're doing a lot of it. Yeah. And you mentioned the hitting woes and like you said, the situational hitting is just not there, but like you mentioned, what compounds that the team has 13 blown saves this year. That's tied Mm. for third in the majors, 18th in team ERA. So it's not just one thing you can point to and say, Ooh, that needs to get fixed. It's everything at this point. Outside of a couple outliers, everything needs to get fixed at this point. And here the team sits. We're in June. They have the worst record in the National League again. Mm-hmm. And the third worst record in baseball. Now, to get a the third worst record in baseball is pretty tough when you have Oakland in baseball. I mean, they're going to be the bottom dwellers no matter what. The Cardinals aren't that far off, and that's what's scary. Um, Daniel, let me throw this question out at you, and you're going to think, you're going to wonder why I'm asking this. What would you guess is the average age for a first-time grandparent now in the United States? You're right. This is a weird question. (laughs) Um, I'm going somewhere, I promise. I'm sure that you are. Um, It's definitely lower than it used to be, so I would say... I don't know, 45? You're close. Uh, Recent studies are starting to show it is around 47 to 48 for a first-time grandparent. Average age of first-time grandparent in the United States. Why do I bring that up? Rich Hill is 43 years old. (laughs) Rich Hill is near the age of the first-time average age for a grandparent, and the Cardinals could not touch him. What is going on? I mean... In their in Rich Hill, I think I think the Cardinals I saw coming into today as a team had hit like 190 against Rich Hill yeah. in the 10 games they had faced him prior. Today's not helping that. They cannot get on base against this guy whose fastball is like 84 miles per hour. His curve is coming in at 72. I mean, it's almost sitting there on a tee. He's leaving them hanging in the zone, and the Cardinals can't do a thing. And, and so it's just there's so much madness going on. And, you know, I think back to uh, the other – was it Saturday? I, um, but Nolan Arenado made an error that he normally mm-hmm. wouldn't make, and the wheels fell off. This team cannot even overcome one error at this point. The pitching is so poor and the hitting is so bad that even one error puts the team on a downward spiral that they can't recover from. Um, Friday night – I had to, I had something going on, and I turned my phone off when the score was 5 nothing going into the sixth. And I thought, you know what? This is a good start for this team. They're going to get this win. This is going to kick things off. They're going to feel refreshed. I could not believe it, even though I should have. I could not believe it two hours later when I looked at my phone and saw they lost 7-5. to five. And I thought, you know what? 
that game right there may have sunk the season because there's no way they're walking out of that game feeling better. Um, I feel like that may end up being, which we've had a lot of turning points, but I think that may be the turning point that puts them now on the downward slope that they don't recover from. I did, you know, John didn't put out the tweet that the last time the Cardinals lost a pitcher as old as Rich Hill was 2009 against Randy Johnson, which is the first time that Randy Johnson and Rich Hill have been in the same sentence without a, you know, like a <laughs> negative qualifier or something of that nature. Uh, oh, wait, yeah. Ted Lilly didn't beat the, I, I would assume I, I mean, Ted Lilly uh, would have been 55 years old. Yeah. Jamie Moyer. Talking, yeah. <laughs> Moyer, you know, uh, Moyer pitched for the Cardinals for a while, but, uh, you know, not that when he was, you know, before he was old. Um, yeah, I, I told this, and I've mentioned this on Unusual this week, but when I started blogging, the reason I started blogging, um, in 2007 was the Cardinals go into the all-star break, you know, they have a break. I think they went in at least with some momentum, not a lot, you know, they were still struggling. They're still under 500. Maybe they won the game before the break. I don't remember exactly, but there was some optimism, you know, like, Hey, here we go. We're going to take that break. You're going to turn it around. You know, Chris Carpenter was looked like he might be coming back. And then they go out in the first inning after the break, they give up like four runs. Kip Wells just gets shelled that later that night. They get news. The Carpenters had a setback and it was just like, okay, that's it. You know, it's over. And that's kind of what it felt like with this weird two game break in the middle of the week. You know, we went into that, the Cardinals split with the Royals, but they had the win we kind of thought, yeah, hey, they're going to take this two days off. They're getting past this 19 and 19 stretch, which, we, you know, as you mentioned, and they're going to go into Pittsburgh, you know, they're on their way up. They were like, I think four and a half, maybe five and a half back then. I don't remember. You know, they're going to, you know, go take two out of three from Pittsburgh and, you know, start getting their feet under them. And to go in and just, you know, lay that egg, especially after having that big lead uh, on Friday, it's just, it's really hard to see how this team rallies. Now, I mean, we were talking about a fourth place Cardinal team, what, two years ago or so in June or July, and they and they were able to make the playoffs. But it just it's just really hard to see how this team's going to put together a consistent run of wins, not only with if the pitch, if the hitting is going to be sporadic, but, I mean, you have Miles Michaelis, who I think we can now say is probably back. He's pitched well. But that's about the only one you can rely on. Jack Flaherty may give you a good start and may not. Uh, Jordan Montgomery has pitched well at times, but the Cardinals apparently don't like him, so they don't bother scoring runs for him. Um, and then you have, you know, Adam Wainwright, who's going to start the game tomorrow after your and I don't know if anybody's going to feel real confident about Adam Wainwright going against a first place team in Texas. Um, and Matthew Libertor, who, you know, if, if he's your guy that you're relying on to be your number two right now is, you know, that's, that's asking a lot for a guy like that. Who's just kind of really getting his feet, you know, settled in the major. So uh, when you look at that rotation, you just, I don't see a path to a consistent run, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, for so long we said we said two things, and, and I say we, I mean everyone talking about the Cardinals. It was, it's early, and the Cardinals are still within striking distance because of expanded playoffs and how weak the Central is. Well, it's no longer early 
We're in June mm-hmm. and the Cardinals are no longer within striking distance. Now you, you win maybe three or four in a row and you've moved up probably in the wild card standings. You can, I mean, you could win two games and jump three or four teams very easily, right. but they're still not close to being in position. And we kind of keep talking about this, you know, these hypotheticals, the what ifs are, you know, if they can do this, then, well, they haven't. I mean, they're sitting at the bottom of the basement of the National League right now. And so there's nothing out there that should make us think that they're going to do anything better, that they're going to be any better than they have been. I mean, I'm not sure if Contreras could hit an 85 mile per hour fastball right over the plate right now, the way he's hitting. And the Cardinals are going to still have him in the top five in the lineup every single day, except when he has a day off. Um, We're just not seeing consistency. We're seeing it's reminding me of lineups of previous years where the first four guys have a chance to reach base. And after that, you just have nothing. I mean, today, Cardinals reached the, the leadoff man reached base in the first four innings and they did not score a run from that. Mm-hmm. The only run came from a home run from the backup catcher who might now need to be the starting catcher again, but more because of his bat. I, I don't know. And the thing is, it's like, there's no help coming. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, who knows if he'll pick up a bat again this year. I mean, Dylan mm-hmm. Carlson may show up eventually who knows with newt, how bad his back is. Um, but there's no pitching reinforcements coming. So, you know, I hate to call this a lost cause and say this season's going down the drain and let's look ahead to the draft and trade deadline and next season, but it's starting to feel that way. Now, as soon as I say that, maybe they'll go on a 13 game win streak and make me shut up and make me look like I'm just overreacting to this week. And I sure hope they do, but I'm, I'm really starting to lose faith and hope. And my optimism is really going down the toilet fast. Yeah, it, it is very difficult to, you know, see how that can come around. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, the Cardinals do promote Luke and Baker, which I think is also a tell, right? Um, he comes up today. They finally decide they don't need three catchers. Um, so Tres Brea had all of, what, two at-bats? Um, carried him for three weeks. I mean, to be fair... That was typically what we did with Yandy Melita, right? We just did it with a backup catcher. <laughs> um, but but still, they. I never really expected Baker to make this roster, even though he was having a great year at AAA, just because I don't didn't know where, you know, where he fit, how this roster works with him necessarily. But I mean, it's gotten to the point where if somebody can hit bombs like that, then you got to give them a chance. Um, and who knows, you know, maybe that's a spark or something that gets it, kicks it off. Uh, you know, he had two hits today, um, neither of them long balls, but I don't know. I mean, you're right. I mean, when you're the third worst team in the national or the, in the baseball, and one of those teams is not even trying at all. And one of them's the Royals who never do count. I mean, you know, you're basically the worst team in baseball right there. Well, that's even more depressing. But yeah, you <laughs> I, know, I thought we, you needed that. Yeah, uh, as if things weren't bad enough. <laughs> you know, we talked earlier this week, and I, I said I was kind of curious if the Cardinals might, you know, kind of go full Cardinals, and instead of call, calling up Jordan Walker, might call up Go- Gomez from Memphis. Mm-hmm. Part of it because he's on the 40-man, and I thought, you know, I could see them saying, 
well, Newt's going to be back soon, and we don't want to call up Walker and send him back down, so let's just bring up Gomez and just make everybody mad that Walker wasn't coming up. Um, but, you know, Gomez is one of those guys who's hitting home runs every single night, but it's, you know, you play with him, the true outcomes. It's going to be a home right. run or it's going to be a strikeout with him. And so, you are you know, you're probably not getting much. I think Baker is Baker and Walker are the better options here because, uh, you know, Walker has that long-term uh, projection in the majors, but the way Baker's been playing has been great. And I know it's been talked about lately. Uh, I think John Denton's one of the people that's talked about it is Baker has been taking more walks. And so his batting eye has been a lot better. I was happy to see him come up just because he's a guy who is hitting the ball. Well, whether it's staying in the park or going out of the park, the Cardinals need something that's going to liven things up. Um, I've, this is not from any credible source, but I've just heard people talk about the fact that, when the outfielders come back, is there a chance that Mason Wynn finally gets his chance to play simply because Paul DeYoung's not hitting Edmonds been kind of, eh, uh, does win. And I think that's going to be, you know, way after the trade deadline and things like mm-hmm. that when he might get his chance. But, um, yeah, this may be one of those situations where at some point we're like, yeah, let the young kids play, uh, because, the main guys aren't getting it done, you know, outside of guys like Goldschmidt who continue to hit. Uh, But other than that, and maybe Donovan a little bit right now, this team's just as a whole is not playing well. I hope Jordan Walker, I hope Luke and Baker can put some fire into them, but it's going to take a lot because it's, we need about five or six guys to wake up their bats because right now it's just it's terrible to watch. There is there is no offense. I feel like I'm watching the Cardinals of the early '90s. Yeah, and it's I mean again when when they do hit, they don't hit it in the right spots, um, which is difficult to, <laughs> and frustrating and all all sorts of things. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. And then I mean, and then you know if that wasn't all bad enough, if it wasn't you, if you weren't get too worried about the offense, you weren't about the rotation. You know, again, Friday night, you hand a, what, five to one lead to the bullpen and it's gone. You know, it, it wasn't like, oh, they brought in, you know, the bad Jordan Hicks or something like that, which we haven't seen in a while. Jordan Hicks has actually been good. But, you know, Palante with a five run lead, that sounds, or four run lead, that sounds reasonable. And then you give it over to Gallegos, who may be your best reliever. And, you know, Granted, when Giovanni Gallegos goes bad, he goes bad. But still, I mean, that's, you know, it's like you thought you could rely at least on the bullpen. And even that's betraying you now. It's it's like, I mean, Mo's probably wondering how many buckets he can have to start bailing out this team. But, you know, again, it doesn't seem like there's any significant urgency. In fact, there's, you know, the quotes now of, Oh, I wouldn't say we're concerned. We're just mad. Well, that's great, but maybe you should be concerned too, you know, or, or maybe stop playing angry because it's not helping anything. You know, it's funny watching the Cleveland series and watching the Kansas city series. I'm watching two teams that aren't great. We're not talking about the elite teams um, by any standard. And when they put relievers in, it's like every reliever that came in the game had like a 2.3 ERA. Where do you find these guys? Like how, how do bad teams or mediocre teams keep finding these relievers? And every time they'd put a guy in, I felt like I was watching somebody with an uh, under three ERA. And I thought, how are these guys playing on these bad teams? It, it just didn't make any sense. And I thought, you know, 
part of me thought you take those guys and put them on the Cardinals roster and the Cardinals have five or six more wins. But at the same time, maybe they don't because the starters aren't going long enough. And we've got this catch 22, this, this problem that just keeps coming over and over um, that they can't seem to break. And, you know, it's easy to point the finger at the front office for a lot of things, but you know, like you expect Gallegos to get the job done in that game. Right. He's had right. plenty of rest. Um, he's a guy that for the most part has been very reliable this season. You could argue he's more reliable than Helsley so far and he didn't get it done. And so it's like, okay, who do you blame at that point? Like you want to yell at the manager, you want to yell at the front office. Um, the guy just didn't get it done. Mm-hmm. But it's funny now when you hear people talking about the Cardinals biggest needs, you obviously hear starting pitching and that is, but you start hearing other people saying, ah, their bigger need may be an everyday outfielder or their bigger need may be the bullpen because starting pitching is not going to get better. When you have three potential big needs that aren't connected, uh, that's a big problem. Uh, when you're seeing that many holes, that means you're having holes in your rotation, your lineup and your bullpen. Uh, that's not a sign that things are going to get better anytime soon. No, no, it's not. It's, I know that, you know, I think it was this week, um, maybe been last, John Mosellock came out saying, you know, that they did not expect to be a seller. It, it's hard to, I mean, you know, we're, we're what, six, eight weeks now, right? Six weeks probably until things really heat up. Because as much as the Cardinals probably should make a move now, they're not going to. And nobody is making moves. But, you know, you're looking at six to eight weeks, and who knows what they'll be at, at that regard. It's hard to imagine they're going to be any better. Um, but it's also, I mean, this front office hasn't ever sold. And I don't know what they have necessarily to sell. I mean, unless you're selling uh, parts off just to sell off parts. Um, but I don't know if they know how to, or if they would allow themselves to do that right i think they're more likely to hold pat or make some sort of small move that you know looks like a buy even if they're well out of it's thinking that well well things will turn around and and here we go um i i can't imagine them i can't imagine them trading if jack flaherty if the car if they're out of it or or jordan montgomery or anything like that i just I don't see that happening. I, it's, I can't imagine this front office doing that, even if they probably should at times. You know, I, th- I actually think it might happen this year. I, and perhaps this is pressure from the St. Louis blues organization and seeing what Doug Armstrong did, which I think a lot of people were a little bit surprised that they went that far, but I think people were pleasantly surprised to see how he, moved guys who were cornerstones of the organization for first round draft picks and for prospects. I I think the pressure, if they're out of it and if they're well out of it, I think we may see that. Um, I think Flaherty could be moved. Jordan Montgomery is an interesting one because there has already been some talk that he's the guy that other teams are seeking after more than anybody else on Mm -hmm. the team. I think the Cardinals want him in a long-term contract. And so if they think there's still hope of signing him long-term, then they may hold on to him. But it reminds me a lot of the Ryan O'Reilly situation with the Blues, that there may be some interest in long-term, but if they think it's going to be too expensive or he's not going to be worth it according to their projections, I think he's gone. And I think Jordan Hicks is also 
in that group as well. Mm -hmm. And I think what the Cardinals might try to do, and this is just me playing armchair GM and president of baseball operations, (laughs) but it would be selling these pieces for young star, not young stars, young prospects, young players, um, hopefully some top 100 guys that then maybe in the off season, you take that wealth of your farm and you try to flip it to get pitchers and try to get maybe another outfielder. And so that you're never rebuilding or even retooling. You're just using this to get right, try to get right back on top after one season. But, you know, again, that's looking forward and assuming they're going to be out of it. But I, unless it's like, if they're hovering around five games, then we may see another Lester and Hap type trade deadline move. Uh, but if they have fallen out to double digits, I think, I think they're going to sell. Um, I may eat my words, but I really could see it happening this year. Well, and hopefully it just doesn't come to that. I mean, hopefully we don't find out because things have gotten better. Um, I will say if they were interested in a, an extension with Jordan Montgomery, they had the spring to do that. Um, and they never seemed to make any overtures to him, or at least that seems to be what the press was. So uh, I think even Montgomery was looking for that kind of thing and they didn't do it, which is you know, fine. Um, I think I would have probably focused more on him, assuming you could get Miles Michaelis to agree to an extension at some other point in time, but you know, whatever the case may be, that's fine. Um, but I do think if they're, if they, if they liked him so much, they'd hold on to him. Now they should have done something already. Um, but the front office is weird sometimes. <laughs> I mean, right. They make decisions that we don't always understand uh, because they have different data than we do, or they just look at that data differently. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And so again, that's, that's ways down the line. I hope that we, you know, hopefully there's some sort of surge in this team. Hopefully the division stays as bad as it is and they can at least be reasonably within shouting distance when it comes down to the to the trading deadline. Um, I don't know how much I want to put on that, but that's, that's hopeful. We'll see what happens. It- it's, it's sad that we're having to have that discussion in early June. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, oh. not good at all. So we've, we've griped and complained for 30 minutes now. Um, but there were a couple of optimistic, interesting, less than gripey news things that we saw this week. So why don't you, I know you've got them read down. Why don't you, why don't you kick them off? Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Should we start with the C or should we start with the BLI first? Either way, either way. Um, let's let's start with the con. We'll go a little controversial, maybe, and then let's go into the fully positive with that. But it made some news this week. I think it was Jeff Jones who reported that um, Andrew Kisner was wearing a C on his shirt that Willie McGee, I guess, had given him and kind of labeled him the captain of the team, essentially, because of the way that he is prepared and the way he goes about doing his work and doing his business. I I shouldn't have, but immediately I read the comments on the tweet about that. (laughs) And I'd say it was about like 80 percent were like negative, like, oh, we're screwed now. Um, or, you know, where, how come not Goldie? How come not Arenado? You know what this, if Kisner is the captain, we're all, this is a sinking ship, stuff like that. What were your thoughts when you saw that? Well, one, I, the biggest thing I took away from it is if Willie McGee says it, 
take it. I mean, <laughs> it's not like it's not like this is a publicity thing, right? It's not like even that Kisner's like taking it on himself or something like that. Willie McGee, who has been around Cardinal baseball and good Cardinal baseball, um, which is more than we can say for anybody that just showed up this year, um, is he knows what this stuff is. And if he is inf- impressed with what Kisner's doing, then I, I'm not one to go and tell Willie McGee he's wrong. Yeah. You know, just a little backstory that nobody will care about, but I have a master's degree in organizational leadership. What that degree means is absolutely nothing. <laughs> it has gotten me nothing in my life. And here's the reason it's, it's great to have, I've learned some great things from that program, but having a title or having a degree does not mean you are a leader. Being athletic does not mean you are a leader. Now you hope that your stars are the leaders of your team, but that's not necessarily how it goes. I mean, look to the Giants teams with Barry Bonds. I mean, one of the greatest athletes of all time, whether natural or not, Bonds was not a leader in that clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy like Michael Jordan, who we kind of talk about his leadership skills, uh, not always. He couldn't always connect with his teammates because he couldn't understand why they didn't have the skill that he had. So for Kisner to be labeled the captain, is a very, very good thing and a great thing. It does. Some people were upset because I thought it should go to somebody with more athletic ability. Now him being labeled captain does not mean that Paul Goldschmidt and Adam Wainwright are not leaders on that team. Right. But Willie McGee saw something in him that stood out, something about his preparation, the way he's going about his business, the way he's setting an example and leadership is influence. So he didn't just give this him the C and be like, okay, now everybody follow him. He gave him the C because people are already following him now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gets talked about a little bit, but probably not enough about how much he's loved in the clubhouse. Uh, and you don't hear that because he's not the, the starter. He's not the starting catcher. Right. But the teammates, his teammates love him. And people forget sometimes because of Newt that the pepper grinder thing really started with Kisner. It kind of took off because Newt was the one playing and Newt went over to Japan and stuff like that. But Kisner was kind of the one who started this, him and Newt together. So he's kind of been that positive voice in the clubhouse. I think this is a great thing. Now, I, I, I don't know how serious they are about it. I don't think it's going to be like hockey where he's wearing the C on his jersey when he goes mm-hmm. out there to play. Uh, but I think this was kind of just awarding a guy and, and letting the public know that, hey, this is a guy that, you know, is doing things the right way. And we're proud of him. And his teammates love him and his teammates look up to him. So the people that were upset about this going to a guy that's a backup catcher, so what? It doesn't matter if this is the NFL and you hear about a safety being the team leader, nobody then criticizes the quarterback for not being a leader. It's just a different situation. And so that's great. I mean, major props to Kisner. I think it's another reason why it's a good thing to have him around. So many people thought he should be traded in the offseason because of Contreras and Herrera coming up. But you need these clubhouse guys to help your team. So I, I think it was a great thing. Yeah, it's the Cardinals have not been a team. No, and I honestly, the Yankees had it with Jeter, obviously, and I think maybe Judge now has one. The Red Sox have had an actual captain once or twice. Maybe Veritek was. But the Cardinals are not a team that I know of. I can't even think of a time where they've had an official captain for, for any 
particular reason. So I, yeah, I, when I saw this, I didn't take that as, like you said, he's not going to be, it wasn't necessarily an official position, if you will, in my mind, it was recognition of what he was doing and, and the, uh, you know, the influence that he had, but it wasn't, yeah, we're going to, he's going to have a C on his Jersey all the time. And we're making this an official thing. And, He's the first catcher, the first captain since 1962, or whatever the case may be. I, I didn't take it like that, and maybe that's what they meant, but I don't. I don't think so. I think it was more of a internal thing that just kind of leaked out to some degree. Um, and yeah, I, I think you're right. I think history spent a lot of time. I mean, that was what we were hearing in this whole Contreras confluffle, right? That, um, you know, for the whole badness of how the Cardinals treated that. There was also the stories of, you know, Kisner was coming in and putting in the work and, and it was a level that Contreras still needed to reach. Um, you know, how, how much of that is true or, and how much of that was PR? I don't know, but it did, you know, I did hear that. And I don't think it was from team sources. It may have been a Jeff Jones tweet or something like that, or somebody had said Brad that. Thompson talked about it on maybe the radio. Was. He was yeah, very maybe. honest. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, I mean, you look at that and say, look, this is this is what we need. You need to be watching this guy and doing what this guy does. Um, and, I mean, he's had to put in the work, right? I mean, he was a backup catcher under Yadier Molina. You could have just sat down and not done anything for months. But if you wanted to have a chance or if you wanted to be ready when your time came so you could make that impression, you had to do the work. and. And he was learning from Yachty, and I'm sure that he has that edge up on Contreras in that regard, and that he was doing it with Yachty for a while. But yeah, I, I mean, again, if an organization is saying this, or, and, and not just an org, not not the front office, not the public relations staff, but if it's the players and the manager and the coaching staff that are are really saying this, like as an honor to this guy, l- listen to him because they know they're there. They see what he's doing and they know what important it, how important it is. Yeah. And you know, uh, transformational leadership is a type of leadership that talk about that people talk about today. And it's a type of leadership that means basically working together to achieve a greater good. Rather, it's opposed to transactional leadership where it's like, I get something from you and that's it. I think that's the type of leader that Kisner is a transformational leader where he is working together with his teammates to achieve something better. And we're even seeing the output from him improve. I mean, coming into today, his war numbers were, he was a 0.6 war that probably went up a little bit after today, Uh, but he's hitting the ball better than he ever has. And they say, this is a guy who is just constantly in the video room and constantly working. He may never have the skill of some of these starters and some of these Mm all-stars, But that doesn't stop him from putting in the hard work and setting the example. So I, I think that's something that's really cool. Um, I think it's something that's really cool that, that it got known because a lot of stuff that, that that stuff just gets held behind closed doors. But yeah, I, I find it a, to be a very positive thing. All right, and we can we can wrap up with the ultimately positive, not controversial. <laughs> well. Is there really anything in society nowadays that isn't completely contro- completely controversial free? But I think this one was pretty close. Yeah, this this should be controversial free. If you have an issue with it, then you can 
throw that in the trash. Um, but John Denton reported this week about some of the service projects the Cardinals have been doing. And uh, this has kind of flown under the radar. If you listen to Adam Wainwright's weekly interviews on the morning drive, he talks about it occasionally. But I'm just going to read a little bit from Denton's piece. He, he sent this through his, his normal email uh, newsletter this week. He said, with little to no fanfare, Edmund joined teammates Nolan Arenado, Ryan Helsley, Brendan Donovan, and Jordan Montgomery to serve lunch at the City Gospel Ministry in Cincinnati last week. Each player was in charge of doling out a certain food to the members of the ministry looking for a hot meal to help them through the day. That particular crew of Cardinals didn't mind working the afternoon shift at the ministry, even though they played a game the night before against the Reds and had another showdown later that night. He goes on to say, In Chicago, Wainwright, Edmund, and others packed kits full of baseball gear for disadvantaged children so that they could play the sport this summer. In Denver, the group served an early morning breakfast at a Christian ministry for those in need. In San Francisco, Edmund and others spoke to elementary school classes about the hard work and dedication they put in reach they put in to reach the majors. Uh, much longer article. I would encourage people to go find it and check it out. But that thing, like I thought that would just kind of blow up all over the internet once didn't put that out there. And I didn't see it anywhere. That is such a cool thing that's going on. And I love it so much when I see players realizing that they have a platform and they use that platform to better the lives of others. This is something that's nothing new for the Cardinals. Uh, this is especially nothing new for guys like Adam Wainwright, um, Tommy Edmund, Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, they've been doing this stuff for many, many years, um, and they don't want publicity about it. This Sometimes this stuff just gets out because somebody finds out about it. But not only are these guys doing things in St. Louis for like big league impact, but they're doing this in the cities they go to on the road. They are finding ways to serve the community on the road after they play games. Now, like you said, if somebody wants to complain, well, maybe that's why they're tired. Uh, you know what? I don't care. Um, everything I was upset about earlier was baseball related. This is life related. This is so much bigger than baseball. This is helping those who are less fortunate and helping the most vulnerable in society. I applaud the Cardinals for what they're doing here. I applaud the players for doing it. I applaud the managerial staff in the front office for allowing them to do this because some people wouldn't. Um, this is about people realizing that there is something much bigger and there's a purpose much bigger than just baseball. Hats off to the Cardinals. Half, hats off to guys like Tommy Edmond and Adam Wainwright for arranging this. This is awesome. This is stuff that people need to talk about. And this is stuff that's important to keep, I think, keep us grounded when we get upset about a game on the field, because this is so much bigger than that. I think the Cardinals have typically been proactive in signing and developing good people. Um, and I know that's, I don't know, it sounds, it could sound weirder sound like you know some rose colored glasses or something but i think there have been times where the cardinals could make a trade for you know a player and that's just not the kind of person that fits into their 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 idea of a cardinal let's put it that way and to some degree that's clubhouse chemistry that's things like that but i also think you know there's you know possibilities of of why it just it just works okay i think that that has been good for them and I think that's the reason why you don't see the Cardinals ever seriously tied to a guy like Trevor Bauer or some others. And I, you know, not not that every person that has come through the Cardinal organization has been, you know, just you know, pure as the driven snow or anything of that nature. But I think on the whole, they've tried to do that to 
to, to look for character as well as talent. Um, you know, Goldschmidt, Arnado, both kind of guys like that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really, really neat. And I mean, and this is, I mean, it's really as, as much as it is a reflection of anything, it's gotta be a reflection of Adam Wainwright, right? I think that Wainwright, we've seen what he's done with big league impact and we know what the kind of a person he is. And I, I would be stunned if this idea of, of reaching out on the road wasn't from him as well. And, you know, it's, it's a credit to the rest of the organ, rest of the team that they've, you know, bought into that, but it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable all the way around uh, to, to see that. And, and you're right. It, it doesn't make a big deal of it. Um, I, you know, they don't want to make a big deal of it. So they just, they just want to do um, because that's what, I mean, what it took three, four, five times. I don't know if that's a story. If the place in Cincinnati doesn't tweet out the picture of, of the guys working. Right. Cause I, I just don't know. I'm sure others knew about it and I'm sure didn't would have maybe about eventually written something about it maybe, but I think that was the impetus and you know, that's the organization doing it, not and the organization they're helping doing it, not the players themselves. Yeah, and you know, people laugh sometimes when we talk about the Cardinal way. It's kind of become a little bit of a laughing stock outside the organization. This is part of the Cardinal way. Mm-hmm. What happens with isn't just it isn't just about what happens on the field. Sure, there are fundamentals and things like that, but it's also about how you carry yourself on the field and off the field. And this is a part of that. You know, I know Dylan Carlson's done things like having a, a coat drive for kids who need coats in the winter doesn't get a lot of publicity except that they're trying to get people to bring coats. And so that, right. that gets put out there, but I, I don't see these players doing it to pat themselves on the back. Um, and, you know, even going back, uh, some people know this, some people don't, but Matt holiday was a guy who had regular appointments at children's hospitals, mm-hmm. especially Cardinal Glennon hospital. He was there all the time seeing his friends, these, these kids, their, their parents, they became his friends and people would say, it didn't matter if Matt went Oh, for five or five for five. It didn't matter if the Cardinals lost a tough one or won in a blowout. Matt was always there. If he said he was going to be there, he was always there. His wife, Leslie spent time on the board at Cardinal Glennon hospital. Uh, they devoted their time. They devoted their money just to serving families and loving kids. And, Like you said, it's something that has become ingrained in the Cardinal culture. Um, Would you hear about certain guys that people say, like, you know, Tony LaRusso talked about Paul Goldschmidt. That guy is the perfect Cardinal. Uh, People have said that about Tommy Edmond. He is the perfect Cardinal. Part of it is, yes, how they carry themselves on the field. But part of it is how they do things off the field. St. Louis is a better place because of these guys. The cities that they're going to on each of their trips are better cities because of what these guys do. It makes me very thankful to be a Cardinals fan, even when they're 10 games out of first place or 10 games under 500, excuse me. Uh, And when things are bad on the field, knowing that they have high character guys like that, I will take that. Um, I will. I don't love watching the on the field product sometimes, but give me the high character guys uh, who love people, who love serving their communities. And I'm going to be a fan for life. Yeah, and, and it is, it's only fair to say, you know, while the Cardinal organization does this, there are players throughout baseball that are doing this, right? I mean, this is, again, we don't hear about it partly because they're not the Cardinals and partly because they're not making a big deal out of it. But we, we know, I mean, we've seen how Big League Impact has, 
has reached out and gotten other other players on other teams involved in their in various things. So, but it does does seem to have maybe a little bit more concentration in the players that the that the Cardinals have, and it's a it's a really cool thing. Um, and and hopefully that continues and um, even beyond, you know, when Adam Wainwright steps off the stage, you know, the stuff that is is in play now. Hopefully that just becomes, you know, it's kind of like, um, I think Chris Carpenter is the one that started the idea of, of all the starters watching ever, you know, the bullpen of the, of the day starter, um, standing together and watching that together. Um, and that carried on after him. Hopefully things like this continue after Adam Wainwright. Yeah, I hope so too. And it, it is cool. You know, like I think they had either it's coming up or they just did a top golf event where you see guys like I think Miles Michaelis, Tommy Edmonds, Steven Matz are playing there. It's, I always get worried, though, that like somebody's going to show up and, you know, criticize a player for not performing well on the field when they're at a charity <laughs> event. Hopefully that doesn't happen because it's like, you know what? You got to separate the business from the charitable or right. separate the professional from the personal um, and realize that these guys are taking time out of their schedule, taking time away from their families probably to go out there and raise money for great causes. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, hopefully somebody continues to carry this torch after Adam Wainwright leaves. Uh, you know, the Cardinals have seen it with Yachty. They've seen it with Albert. Adam Wainwright's done this. I think that we will continue to see a legacy. Um, and that's part of the, one of the great reasons about having these guys in the clubhouse, because they are mentoring the younger generation, so to speak. Um, and hopefully training them in the way that they should go as far as how these things are handled. Yeah. And I think the Cardinals are one of the organizations that have the most, you know, historically uh, Roberto Clemente awards. I mean, they've had quite a few of them um, and, and that's, that's just part of that as well, just on a, on a bigger scale. So, all right, well, at least we ended better than we started, um, which is, more than we can say about the Cardinals week. So, um, but maybe, anyway, maybe this is foreshadowing what's to come. Uh, we can, we can only hope, uh, that they, uh, maybe took something from our show here today. Uh, we'll find out, but, um, I think that we will miss next week. Um, which probably means the Cardinals will go six and oh, and that we'll have been wishing that we had talked, but, um, that's okay. We're willing to take that risk. Uh, we'll be back at you in a, in a couple of weeks. So until then, for David, I'm Daniel. Good night. See ya. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click Subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in Baseball Heaven.